Facebook famously determined that if a new member invited 10 friends within 14 days, they were hooked for life. So they focused religiously on driving the user experience to this key metric. If you apply this product-based approach to B2B sales, then you can identify those users that are ready to talk. And this method is known as the Product Qualified Lead, or PQL. So if you sell in a freemium, open source, or trial model, then the PQL method is critical to give your sales team visibility into who is ready to talk. So talk to your data team, or better yet, partner with Whaler's team of data scientists to develop a PQL model tailored specifically for your business. You'll be empowered by knowing exactly when a user is ready to convert. To see specific examples, go to getwhaler.com forward slash Andy. That's G-E-T-W-H-A-L-R dot com forward slash Andy. And as a bonus, if you sign up to learn more about Whaler and PQLs, then Whaler will send you their optimized two-page master services contract that you can leverage for your own business free of charge. It's time to accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to another edition of Frontline Friday with my regular and very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Now, before we get to the show, Bridget and I have a favor to ask of you. Really appreciate it. If you took time right now to leave a review for this show on iTunes, and while you're there, click the button, subscribe to Accelerate, make sure you get Frontline Friday automatically each week. Also, we need to hear from you. More specifically, we need your sales questions. I mean, what can we answer for you? What challenges do you have that we can help you with? So go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline and enter your question there. Each month, we're going to select one listener's question to be the question of the month. And the winner will receive a $50 Amazon gift card. So remember, go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline to give us your question and maybe win 50 bucks. So Bridget, how are you today? Andy, how are you today? I'm I'm turning it around. How are you today? I'm happy. Good. What's making (laughs) you happy today? Uh, That I'm not at Dreamforce any longer. Um... Uh, <laughs> yeah. How was it? How was it? Well, you know, I, I sort of pride myself. Like, I go up every year, but I never actually go to Dreamforce because there's always all these side events and meetings and so on. I have so uh, meetings were fun, side events were great. Um, yeah, yeah, generally, generally good stuff all the way around. Does it end tomorrow? Gosh, I used to go to Dreamforce every year. Now, being in a slightly different industry, I don't get there as much. It ends tomorrow, right? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but I mean, San Francisco is just packed, as you might expect. Oh, and God, I know. So I, I tried to. That. So I was just going to go up for a day because I was, I was, uh, wasn't really, I guess I wasn't speaking. I was sort of the, the keynote interview subject for at an event that. Yeswear's offices in San Francisco. And being God inter- love Yeswear. God love Yeswear. And your alma mater. And being interviewed by Matthew Bellows, founder God and love CEO. Matthew Bellows, yes. And so I, I was just going to go up for the day and back from my San Diego office. And then there's something came up. So I, I had going up Monday instead, talking on Tuesday. And um, so I had to find a hotel room like only a month before Dreamforce. And I thought, oh, I've done this in the past. And there aren't many rooms, but there are some available. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there are a few available. So, like the Western St. Francis on Union Square, which typically is, yeah, 250 300 bucks a night. I think it was 1200 
and oh boy, it sort of went on from there. Yeah, everything was was mm. close to a thousand. Just crazy, oh crazy yeah. surge pricing. Yeah, so I stayed down near the airport, and that was probably still expensive. I used points. <laughs> so, I used points. Okay, okay, yeah. there you go. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, they weren't weren't taking points at the hotels in San Francisco. Mm. So yeah, so yeah, I used points. I just it was easy enough to just to take barter or Uber up to the city. So, um, so yeah, but it's, it's just not. So I mean, even all the hotels. Yeah, just have a meeting with a couple of people at, at the Palace Hotel and walk in and. I don't recall this from years past because often as I'd stay at the palaces is yeah. Dreamforce had taken over the entire, <laughs> the entire hotel. It seemed like every, uh, you walk in the door, there's a famous Pied Piper bar with uh, the famous painting over the bar, mm. uh, the Pied Piper. And yeah, that was closed for some Salesforce event and, or Dreamforce event. And yeah, every conference room and, and there literally was no place. I was, I, at that point I just wanted to find a place to sit down because I'd been on my feet for a long time. Mm. Yeah, there was, I couldn't find a chair. <laughs> I was just like, wow. So, yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. I mean, quite a, quite an event. Well, I've heard at some of the shows we're going to reinvent, which is Amazon's big show in Las Vegas mm-hmm. in November. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the things that they're doing this year, I don't think they've done it years past, is Amazon buys up all of the local restaurants and venues. So they buy them up and book them and then they sell those back to sponsors and potential sponsors. So just another way for them to make a couple of dollars. Well, yeah, I'm sure that Salesforce does the same makes a ton of money on Dreamforce because I mean the booth booth prices are, are, are crazy, are crazy expensive. And if you, I mean, if you haven't been to Dreamforce before, which is the user's con- annual user's conference for Salesforce.com, at the Moscone Center in San Francisco, you go into the exhibit space. I mean, if you're claustrophobic, I wouldn't recommend it at all because it's just crazy, crazy packed yeah. full of people. I'm not sure yeah. how the vendors even talk to anybody that come by the booth because, A, it's such a, a mass of humanity, and B, it's so loud. Um, yeah. But they seem to get no shortage of people taking up the booths. But increasingly, companies, yeah, rent suites, and so I went to several, you know, several companies up there, you know, suites at hotels or you know, mm. rooms at hotel that they or their local offices in the case of Yesware that they've you know opened up for. And Yesware is just sort of like an open house. Come charge your phone and get a drink and get a massage. Even. And a massage. There were people lining up for massages. I would have. Yeah. I, I didn't think about it until I was gone. I'm thinking, yeah, I could probably use one. But yeah, they had a line. I think they were booked up for most of the day yesterday. Wow. So, but anyway, so yeah. I'm returned from that in one piece. That's good to hear. Yeah. And you did a session there, right? Yeah. So Matthew Bellows interviewed me about... Um, sales trends and the impact of some of these trends on sales acceleration. And so it was, yeah, it was a fun group and yeah, we had a great discussion. I always enjoy talking with Matthew and, and uh, yeah, this, there's events like this all over San Francisco. I mean, at lunchtime or throughout the day, 
people have a, a series of running events. So it's, I'm always so surprised to get anybody to show up to any of those because there's, there's yeah, so many there's going on. So much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much going on. So, but anyway, yeah, a couple hundred people signed up for it. So it was, it was cool. Enjoyed it. That sounds great. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Gosh. You know, by the time this airs, we're going to be getting pretty close to the end of the year. We were, uh, for people who don't know, we record these it's, sometimes, depends, but you know, the interval is usually a week to three or four weeks in advance, uh, the time that they actually get posted. So, uh, any big plans for you know, finishing out the year strong? Um, it, are you talking like what we're doing work or am I doing anything that's going <laughs> to help me feel strong so Eve. that I can finish out the year strong? Well, let's start there. I'm actually going, um, I'm flying to Boulder this weekend Yes, to go to a book club. <laughs> I love books. I'm oh. going to a book club. What do you mean a book club? What? What do you mean book club? I mean, this is... I'm going to book club. A regular I'm book club to... with, with friends that you... Yeah. Uh, you're... Hey, yeah, like I couldn't find one in Boston. Is that well, your question? Is that yeah. the subtext yeah. of your question? Yes, yes, yes. I thought so. Um, th- I have them in Boston also, but it's a very good friend of mine. And when I was out there last time, I just happened to be there at a time that coincided with her existing book club. So I went and... This time, they're reading a book called The Lemon Tree, mm-hmm. which talks a lot about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict right. and sort of the history. And given, I, I'm the, I guess I'm the closest they know to an expert because I've been to <laughs> Tel Aviv, which is dangerous. I like to act like a know-it-all, but um, so I'm doing that. I'll be home at Thanksgiving, see my sons and family. And then, you know, we've got... Uh, we've got reinvent. We've got a big show coming up, and uh, so yeah, we're just. I feel sometimes, Andy, like I know that I'm. I know that the race I'm in is a marathon, but I'm sprinting. Mm. So it's it's part of it with a startup is your. There's always sure. more to do than there's time. Tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah, my. I consider my company a startup, even though we've been in business for a long time, but. Yeah, you know, we've always got new things going on, and and yeah, yeah, it's and also having worked at eight different startup, actual startup companies. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah, I understand. So um, I thought we'd talk about something. You know, we sort of filled people's ears with news about us. Um, talk a little bit about sales. Oh. Should we? Okay. We don't have to. I don't know. I don't no. know. We don't need to. We don't always. Sometimes we do, we spend the first 20 minutes talking about running and then say, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is Frontline Friday. It's supposed to be about sales. Okay. Sales. Yes. Well, specifically. Sure. Well, see, when you said you were going to be making yourself stronger for the end of the year, I thought you were going to reveal that you were you know, taking on some big physical challenge like a marathon or a half marathon. No? Oh, you thought I was. No, not yet. I would. I would. But I'm not doing that now. Okay. All right. So sales. So here's a question that had popped up. And this is a question that Matthew Bellas and I talked about at the um, event with Yesware at, at Dreamforce. But then also I've had a couple others, by sheer coincidence, had a couple other conversations in the last day with uh, a CRO and another with a VP of sales about the sort of same topic, mm. which was 
Maybe I'd summarize a little bit differently than, than we talked about yesware, which in the context of the question Matthew would ask me at yesware is, is really about, well, who, who should choose your sales strategies and your sales tactics? You know, should it be the reps who mm. are engaged? Should it be the managers or should it be the execs? And the question I was asked by somebody else was a little bit different, but sort of the same tenor, which was, yeah, is there a sort of too much command and control? Mm in sales these days. And a question was asked sort of another way, which was, you know, gosh, we, we seem to be so good at the science of selling. This was CRO of a very well-known company, science of selling process, you know, scripting or personas and so on. But we really, we really suck at the art of selling, you know, we actually have to engage, engage and connect with prospects. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so they're all sort of related, in my mind, because what he was saying is our process and sort of the art of selling is a process. We tell people how to do it, right? As opposed to, yeah, do we give them how much freedom and latitude do we give reps in terms of, again, the, the tactics they use to engage or the strategies they use, AAEs, the strategies they use to move the deals forward? Or are we so tightly scripted and, and process-driven by you know, stage, stage exit criteria, blah, 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 that we've sort of taken you know, the individuality, the creativity, the art, as the one CRO talked about, we've taken it out of the picture. What did, so what were your, so was Matthew was asking you this question. Yes. What was your answer? My answer was that, yeah, my belief is that we've, we are hurting ourselves by um, constraining the, the creativity and the individuality of, of our reps and our account execs. And I see that you know, often more than, more than I'd like. And I think it shows itself in the results, the sort of industry-wide results that we all sort of hear facts and figures about. And, um, but on the other hand, we have a sort of a system that works to a certain degree and, and everybody is sort of loath to change it. And so I think that, you know, we have this, this, you know, stasis that's occurred, this, that where things really need to change, but it's like people are afraid to take the first steps to do it. And I think it sort of starts with unleashing the, the creativity of the people who actually engage with our customers. Hmm. Uh, I, uh, so I'll give you a, I'll give you a, you a, a, a metaphor okay. to think about as, is again, as yeah, we, we see this particularly with inside sales is right. We've, we've got, we've got our personas that we sell to, and we've got our uh, script for how we're going to do that you know, for, you know, scripting for individual engagements as well as we sort of got our process scripted out. And what I find and what I see, and yeah, I talked about this yesterday at the, the Yesware event, and a lot of people comment that, yes, yeah, this is what happened. I said, yeah, you think about it. Right now, frontline managers are sort of like helicopter parents, right? Every time there's a problem, we have an answer for it. And we're not letting people oftentimes really figure out what's the best way to do that. Maybe there's a better approach to at a problem resolution or a situational resolution that, you know, to help a customer in a way that doesn't really conform with the way our set process has been laid out. And so, you know, as managers, we drop in and we give people the answers. 
and I think that that um, you know it's and we sort of compound that by by saying hey you know here's how the person next to you is doing this they're so much smarter it's like telling our kids that you know go do what the neighbor's kid does because he's so much smarter and better looking than you are um, so I, th- I think I think we create some of those problems and I, and I just compare it with my own experience and I imagine probably your experience somewhat growing up in sales as well is that that we certainly had processes, well-defined processes. Both you and I both work for, you know, very large corporations that, you know, long histories of sales, but, but same token, I was given freedom once I'd been trained to adapt that process to my unique strengths in order to achieve the outcomes that need to be achieved. My goals, you know, hit my quota and achieve president's club and all that. Well, I think a couple of things, we got a lot more training than most reps get. We did. And, we stayed in the role. We stayed in a particular role much longer than I think reps stay in a role today. So you could stay in a, let's say I'm an SMB sales rep. You may stay in that role for years before you get to move to the next one, where I think now there's the expectation. First, you you don't get the, the weeks and weeks of training and the ongoing. And so I think that's part of it. And then people move more often. So they're not gaining the expertise in a particular role in a segment of vertical. I think those are those are factors that really mm-hmm. affect it. I, I think about just reps that I've worked with. I don't know that I would say that they are uh, fully equipped that they're going to have a better result if I just say, hey, just use your creativity. Most of the ones I deal with are are definitely looking for feedback and they want to, many of them are looking for a process before they walk in the door. Help me and let help me understand what the, what this ought to look like for me to be successful. So I don't know that I totally would agree, at least in my experience that, um, I think they need to have some creativity, but I think they're most of the reps I've dealt with are, are looking for some structure. They're looking for guidance on process. They want to be able to apply some creativity, but they're also looking for that structure. Well, what do you think? And this is a question, not meant to be a, a loaded question. Uh, but so, in your mind, what what do you think is the one thing that top performers have in common? What do I think top performers have in common? Um, I think they are one thing. Oh, just one thing. Yeah. One thing. I'd say, I think there's one thing they all have in common and I'm interested to see if you see it the same thing. You just think it's one thing. I don't think it's, I don't, there could uh, be be multiple things, but I've got one specific thing in mind. Let me clarify that. um, One of the things I think is they are very sort of intrinsically self-motivated. Okay. What would you say? You've got one in your mind. Yeah. So we should just hear it. They all broke the rules. I mean, you think back through your entire career, people you know that were top performers in sales that you worked with or you had exposure to and so on. And I mean, I don't mean they were renegades, right? But but they did things their own way. They they took what was there as a process and shaped it to fit what works best for them. And and that's one of the reasons it's it's hard when we try to train our reps by saying, look what John did or look what Janet did or is doing because the reason they're doing that specific thing is it's something that, that works for, that applies for them from an intrinsic strength perspective that 
other people aren't necessarily going to have those same strengths and those same perspectives or, or whatever. So, you know, I think my fear is, is that in this environment is that, and again, this is what I, I'm seeing. This is how I interpret what I see with companies I deal with is that, is that, yeah, we're, we're not creating an environment to create more top performers because these are people, as you said, have like a certain self-belief and confidence that, you know, they're not really, not really worried about the consequences of, of this thing not, not working because they know that A, high confidence is going to work, or B, if it doesn't work, you know, you want to get rid of me, fine, I'll go find a job somewhere else. Um, but they took a chance and succeeded. So then they were given more rope. And we, and we have to find a way to give more people more rope. Doesn't mean everybody deserves it or, or do well by it. And, but, you know, the, I'm not sure the, we always think about, you know, how do we sort of defy this 80-20 distribution rule of, you know, having 80% of our sales done by 20% of our reps. And it's, it's always going to be that way if, if, you know, we sort of treat everybody differently. Right, we treat top performers different. Yeah, they sort of they bent the rules of the process and so on, but they're doing okay, so we're going to let them keep on doing it. Everybody else, we're going to keep a lid on. Well, that's a self fulfilling prophecy at that point. The other people are never going to get that opportunity. Yeah, I would. I when I say that everybody like, do you see yourself like? Were you like a big rule breaker? Well, again, it's it's not like I was. <laughs> everyone looked at me and said, "Wow, that Andy, what a renegade!" Um, but yeah, I did. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I always had the, the MO, if you will, throughout my career is that I'm ultimately responsible for my, my success. And yeah, I'm going to take advice and direction and look at it through the lens of, is this going to help me or not? Because, you know, I, I can decide, yeah, I'm going to take your advice, Mr. Manager. And if I fail with it, I was still the one that was going to get fired. Not you. Yeah, that's true. Not you. So every time I get advice or guidance or someone, I'd look at it through that lens and say, okay, yeah, is this going to help me achieve what needs to be achieved? You know, the goals that need to be achieved. And if not, yeah, I might, might not hear it. And I feel like we don't give people that, that latitude to do that these days. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, and I, I'm I'm trying to think about the people that have been top performers. Would I say they're all rule breakers? I don't know if that's probably not what I would have used that term or that, but I'm going to think about it. Like that's it sounds, um, sounds more dramatic, perhaps not really is, but yeah, you know, they're not conforming the same way everybody else is conforming. Yeah, that's probably true. And so, my contention is we need to find a way to encourage people to do that, and I, and I think we we sort of have the deck stacked against a lot of people in sales. From the you know start the way we set quota for Christ's sake, um, you know one of the things that <laughs> that is proven that is that if you experience success, then your odds of continuing to experience success go up. Yeah, and and so what we do is is you know this whole deal of like we set quotas artificially high, you know based on let's make it a stretch quota, blah blah blah, and this all this filters down. Well, the fact is that. You think about okay, well, we got you know forty percent of our team that made quota. Well, what if we set quotas to to a little bit lower and get sixty percent of our people and get that extra twenty percent acclimated and accustomed to having success? We could then raise the quotas next year, and I guarantee those people would make quota. Yeah, we've made them part of the the fold that's going to do it. 
And yeah, I don't, don't see enough managers really thinking about that in terms of how they engage that sort of great middle group of sellers who aren't the abject failures and aren't the top performers is how to, as a group, elevate their success. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, we're talking about that. I mean, we talk about it. I think about it a lot. We were, t- I was talking about it today with uh, some of the managers, just this very point. Do we have, I'd rather see fewer people on the team. I'd rather have fewer people on the team and everybody doing well, or the m- more mm-hmm. of them doing well than a larger number and it be, uh, you know, not so well. So I, I, d- I definitely get that. Well, that's the pressure that a lot of startups are under from investors, right? Uh, hey, you got to scale. Right. So let's bring these people on. But yeah, we're only closing one of every five qualified prospects. Well, you start seeing us all, of course, because what we're doing is we're bringing more people into it. They're going to generate prospects that really aren't quite as good as they should be. And, you know, we're, we're wasting all this time and effort on people that we're never going to close for us. Right. So to your point, right. why not have fewer selling more high quality deals and at the end of the day you'll probably be in the same spot. Yeah. I I'm in violent agreement. But that's that's a trap we're stuck in. And I say we as sort of a, a sales industry and certainly in the you know businesses you know, following this predictable revenue model. Sort of the yeah. trap trap we're in. And so we had this conversation at, at the Yesware event is is where I sort of you know to be provocative is throughout the statement that and you and I disagreed about this before, is that, you know, time's coming. We're going to have to get rid of quota as a measure of performance because it's not serving anybody's interests. Yeah. You know, it's artificially set without regard to any sort of reality. I mean, there's a, a report published by, recently by Gong um, that was showing that, um, I forget the exact figure, that, Quota is going to raise on average seven and a half percent, and you know, sales sales growth is like five percent or something. It was, but it was like, yeah, it was never going to square, right? We're always going to have quota set beyond the ability of of uh, people to make it, and but we have this game that managers play, right? We set quota X percent higher on the assumption that we're only going to get you know twenty percent of our reps to do it, and if they all do it and they're all one hundred five percent, then we're going to make the number. That's a crazy way to do it. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, what you want is you want a higher fraction of your sales team experiencing that success and hitting the number because then you're grooming them in, in success and they are going to be damned if they fall back into failure. And they'll do whatever it takes to continue to be successful. Right. And, and it, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see quotas gone. I think I, I can't see that happening anytime soon, but... There's really something to that. Well, they're self-fulfilling prophecies, right? They're targets. So you give people a target, they're going to try to hit that target. What if you took the target away? But the compensation was still tied to a certain, you know, sales sales amount. Yeah, people, I think people would sell the same if the, if the quota right. wasn't there. Maybe even more. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, but yeah, yeah, it's still such part of the culture as you just can't. We have to have some way of measuring, but unfortunately the way we measure is, is obviously completely broken because, you know, the CSO insights reports, if we take those as having some semblance of reality to what's happening in the field, 
2,200 companies I surveyed. Granted, it's self-reported. That's you know, the caveat to it. But still, self-reporting that you know, 50% of our reps are making quota. It's, yeah, it's, it's well, and you wonder why. And it's going down every year. Yeah. That's, mm. that's not good. No, it's not good. And by the same token, we're only closing one of every five five deals in the pipeline. Like, eh, what? There's a problem here. This is, yeah, we, we have to fix this problem because we can't grow. I mean, most companies aren't going to be able to grow yeah. with that model. And especially, you know, in the software world, as what we're seeing is, you know, the beauties of the technology that exists is, is the ability to address inexpensively, create solutions for more niche markets, you know, more finely niched markets. So you're not going to be able to go into those markets and do, you know, 30 to 50 calls a day because, you know, niche markets may only be a thousand prospects. So it's, it's, I think yeah, we're, I think we're hitting this point where right? it's sort of this fundamental rethinking of, of how we approach it is going to have to take place. And I know others are thinking about it as well, but it's, it's, uh, what we talked about today is just sort of one aspect and one element of it. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not sure that's going to solve the problem, but, um, it's definitely, we need to do something differently. Yeah. You know, I want a team also that's motivated and feels good about what they're doing. And when you're at 50% or less, you don't feel motivated. You don't feel good about what you're doing. Um, when you're not closing that many deals, you don't feel good about what you're doing. Well, and then we see all sorts of sort of, Behaviors on the part of management that sort of perpetuate that. I mean, uneven distribution of leads. I mean, I see this all the time. Oh, this is a good lead. Let's give it to, let's give it to Debbie because Debbie's the number one sales rep. Well, but, you know, John's sitting over there and, and you know, John should get an equal chance at leads. I mean, it's, it's that's hard. Why we, that's, that's why we round Robin. Right. <laughs> yeah, you make it, you make it, you want it to be even. Right, and give everybody an opportunity to succeed. Because, again, once people get a chance to taste success, they'll want to keep succeeding. And we have sort of this basic human motivation drive element yeah. that so many of our sales leaders just seem to be blind to. And granted, you know, everybody's got lots of excuses. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. Right. Yeah. Well, pressure is the excuse, right? But, yeah, that's why it's hard to break the cycle, sort of given, given the dynamics of what's happening and the way the, the businesses are funded and so on. But it's, yeah, it's, it's going to reach that point. And somebody's going to be the one that, that makes the break. Why not Bridget Gleason? I, I'm ready to make the break. I'm ready to make the break as I, I have uh, salespeople waiting outside my door to ask me a question before the evening ends. <sighs> That's tell, my break. See, that's the point. Tell them to go figure it out. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I have to get off before I go tell them to figure it out. <laughs> All right. Bridget, a pleasure as Andy, always. as always, good topic today. Good for a Frontline Friday. Yeah. And friends, I hope you enjoyed it as well. Again, if you have any questions, comments, inputs, send them to me, andy at andypaul.com, or you can go to andypaul.com. There's a red button on the front page, homepage. Click on that. Leave us an audio message. And, uh, yeah, we'll address it on the air. So, again, thank you for spending time with us. Bridget, thank you. Andy, thank you. Have a good one. I'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. <laughs>